This is draft season. John Schmoke, Tony Pauline with you. College football season nearing its end, getting to the conference championship games. We'll get to that in a little bit, but rivalry week in the books. We'll talk about that. And then we'll have Tony's risers and sliders on the defensive side of the ball. Tony, happy Thanksgiving, man. How'd it go? It was fantastic. <laughs> Parade in the morning, then about 15 people at my house, as we usually do. So, uh, you know, started a holiday season. It goes too quick, but uh, Thanksgiving was good for me. I hope it was good for you as well as all our viewers out there. Yeah, absolutely. Did you go to the parade, Tony? You just watched it. Go to the parade. I've gone to the parade every year since 1996. So uh, wow. my, my Thanksgiving morning is I'm up at 430 in the morning. I go out for about a four mile run, leave for New York City at about 545 in the morning. I actually get the grandstand tickets on the uh, on Central Park West. Uh, watch the parade. The parade came by us. It started a half hour early this year. So it came by us about 840. It was over by about 1030. And I was home in time to watch Santa Claus pass in front of Macy's in Herald Square at about 12 o'clock. And then uh, and then we had all the festivities at our house. But yeah, I, I mean, I watched that parade since I was a little kid, started going to it when one of my best friends had a little girl who was two years old. Haven't missed it since. That's phenomenal. I think uh, the, sounds like a lot of fun. I, I have oh, not. Waiting for my youngest to get a little bit older before we do the take to the parade thing. We lived basically on the parade route before we had our kids in Manhattan. We lived on 72nd and basically Central Park West and, and Columbus. So we kind of would go outside. We would see the stuff pass down the block. And, and that's kind of how we saw it. But at some point, we'll bring the kids in when when they're a little bit older and they're not quite as uh, as young. And I would say irritable to be out in the cold for that long. Um, Tony, fun weekend of college football, man. A lot of close games, great rivalry week. Let's start with the big one, Ohio State, Michigan. Ohio State obviously putting together a better performance than they did last year when these two teams faced a couple of times. But Michigan's still doing just enough to walk away with a victory. Last two years, I mean, but again, I, I you know, from a game perspective, I thought that Ryan Day got completely outcoached by Sharon Moore, who's proven the last three games that he deserves a head coaching job at a big time program in college football. He's done a, just done a great job with that Michigan program, you know. But when you look at it from a pro prospect point of view, number one, I thought the the Ohio State defensive line played significantly better this game than they had all year long. I mean, Michael Hall, who I know has been suffering with an ankle injury, I mean, Michael Hall made a lot of good plays. They did a good job for the most part stuffing the run. Uh, Michigan somehow seemed to get a boost after Zach Zinton went down with that terrible injury, a broken leg, which is, you know, going to hurt his draft stock, sadly, scored on the next play. I also thought it was, I thought it was a bad game plan by Ohio State. I don't know why they just don't throw the ball to Marvin Harrison until, they, <laughs> you know, teams double and triple Marvin Harrison. I mean, consistently. But I thought it came down to the fact that in Ohio State, you got a quarterback who stares down the primary target, is late releasing the throw, has receivers adjusting all over the place, where J.J. McCarthy, people are going to pick holes in his game, understandably so. He makes some questionable passes, but he's always in control of the situation. He's got great mocks. He's got great confidence. He's a great team leader, which is why I think there's going to be a big appeal for J.J. McCarthy entering the 2024 draft. All right, I want to go through a couple of different parts of this game tony so one let's start jj mccarthy since you just brought him up a lot of people are gonna have him as their quarterback three in this class i don't know how high he's going to go as quarterback three i think that's a question we can certainly talk about so without the you know the system that he's playing in and the lack of attempts and what they're asking him to do 
teams are going to have to do a lot of extrapolating and I think anticipating what he can become rather than what he is. So as you talk to people, what are they telling you about their evaluation of McCarthy? And, and what is your evaluation of McCarthy as you've kind of watched him over the course of this year in that Michigan system, which obviously is very run centric? It, it runs the gamut. I mean, there are people who absolutely love him and there are people who say, ah, you know, does, he's not a real big guy, doesn't have a great arm, which I would agree with. I, I don't think he's got a huge arm. Uh, you know, he's more of a game manager. So it, it's just a matter of, you know, where does he fall on different teams' boards? And I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's a situation where McCarthy, on my board, his grade would be a mid-second round grade, a late second round grade. But I think he's going to go first round. And I think teams are going to watch the film. You don't think like, top 10, though, or anything like that, do you? I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me with the number of teams that need quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen it before. Guys sure. like Jim Locker go so early. So, I mean, you never you never know. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think that should be the case. Uh, I, I think with McCarthy, it's a situation where if you select him, like any quarterback, but more so for him, you better protect him and you better have a good running game. But, you know, again, it's just the way he leads that team – he never gets down on himself. You know, he's constantly in control of the action. He's got great moxie. And and I was not a J.J. McCarthy believer coming into the season. I liked him, but I didn't love him. But, you know, he just performs week after week, and he plays within the system. You know, you talk about the lack of attempts. You saw the Penn State game, what, he threw the ball eight times or something like that? Yep. And it takes, you know, there's something when a quarterback can do that and not complain about throwing the ball because they're just winning. So uh, I think he's going to end up somewhere in the first round. I don't think he's a first round prospect, but he plays the position and look how many teams, you know, as we move towards April of 2024, need a quarterback. We talk about the Michigan running game, Tony, and it's not as dominant as it was last year. You know, we know they have depth on the offensive line with their prospects. You mentioned the injury. You can dip more into that if you want. You know, why haven't we seen kind of these two Michigan running backs who I think were both kind of in the mix as potential being the top running back prospect in this class heading into the year. Uh, to me, watching them, neither guy jumps out to me as someone that I'd even use a second round pick on that I, I feel confident you can draft and, and and they can kind of carry the load for you moving forward here. It, it they, they just haven't struck much this year to me watching them play. Well, well, they're winning. And I would agree with you about, about Quorum and, and Edwards. I mean, Quorum especially is indicative of this entire running back class. Yep. He's a situational runner. He's a third down back. He's not a feature runner, uh, but he's still a really good football player who can carry the ball, who grinds it on the inside. He's got the speed, as you saw uh, the the play after that Zinter injury to take it to the uh, take it to the house. He's also a real good pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, I, I think it's a situation where. We're going to pick holes in Michigan's game, but they just continue to find ways to win. Whether and all the controversy surrounding that program, and whether it's you know running the ball eighty percent of the time against Penn State, whether it's mixing it up, you know, I also think you know they lost their center. Although Drake Nugent has done a, a terrific job at center for him last year, Ola Gawemi, no, I'm butchering his name, was a terrific college center. Uh, so he's out of the mix. They also lost some of their guys on the perimeters and offensive tackle. But still, I, I mean, you know what? They're not winning by 40, but they're still winning. And they're pushing the ball up and down the field uh, at a good clip. I just think that, you know, like I said, Quorum is what he is. 
He doesn't have a great size, doesn't have a great height, I should say. He's real good, but he's not special in any area. He's just a terrific football player. And it, and as such, it's probably going to be a day two, third round type of choice. Absolutely. And then one other player I want to ask you about Michigan before I jump over to Ohio State. Roman Wilson, who who is kind of their top wide receiver. He's dealt with some injuries this year. Um, Loveland had a nice game, five for 88. Any of these Michigan wide receivers, you know, we saw Bell go last year for them, I think, what, early day three, if I recall, right? Fourth or fifth round pick. Any of these Michigan's wide receivers you you think might make some noise as you move forward here towards draft time? You know, the funny thing is Cornelius Johnson went back for a second senior season and entering the 2022 season, preparing for the 2023 draft, scouts had Cornelius Johnson graded as a potential day two choice, and he's kind of fallen off. But he's got excellent size at 6'2 and a half, 210 pounds. He runs under a 4'5". He, he makes a lot of big receptions in big moments, as you saw against Ohio State. He's a terrific blocker. He just never really put it together. Do I think he's going to rise up draft boards? No, but I think Johnson is going to be a day three pick that could surprise. Roman Wilson, it, teams like him as much for his return potential as they do a, for his receiving ability. 5'10 and a half, 185 pounds. He's probably going to run the four in the low four fours. You saw what he brings. He's explosive. I mean, he is a playmaker. Not a big number one wideout, but I think somebody who teams like enough that when the when you get towards the end of day three, I'm sorry, towards the end of day two in the third round, a team that needs a receiver return specialist could look Roman Wilson's uh, way. And then, of course, they got that dynamic true sophomore tight end who we might we may not be talking about him in the great uh, Brock Bowers mold next year, but we're going to be talking about him a lot. All right, let's jump over to Ohio State, Tony. We talked about the running backs on Michigan. Uh, I want to talk about the running backs on Ohio State. Because Travion Henderson has come back from a multitude of injuries over the last couple of years. He's had some really good games. Not great against Michigan, 19 for 60, a touchdown. He did leave the game briefly early in the game, came back in. You know, I mentioned this when I was talking about the Michigan running backs with, with Corman Edwards. We haven't seen a running back kind of step up and I think really take that, all right, number one running back in the class. I'm, you know, I'm going to take, first round pick, throw it out. I'm worth a second round pick. How does scouts view Henderson? Uh, is, is the health and the injury history going to scare people off? Because he certainly has the physical ability um, that I think scouts would really be interested in in terms of the running back position. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I, I mean, when you're a running back and you're missing time because of an injury, any position, but especially running back where, you know, you're going to get hit a lot, whether you're carrying the ball or whether you're blocking, being used as a receiver, that's going to be a big, big red flag. I have Henderson right now. I have a fourth round grade on him. And that's where most of the scouts that I've spoken with have Henderson. I think part of the problem with Henderson is the, the Ohio State offensive line has not played up to snuff this year. Obviously, they lost both of their tackles who are right now starting to Juan Jones and Paris Johnson, who are starting in the NFL. But I think Matthew Jones and, and Jackson, the other kid, uh, Donovan Jackson, really have not elevated their, their grades at all, especially Donovan Jackson. I mean, coming into the season, people really liked Donovan Jackson, and they thought that if he elevated his game, he plays as, as expected, he's a top 42 pick. People even thought late first round, he's not played that way at all. I mean, Donovan Jackson has not improved his game. Uh, he's, he's probably a better player in 2022 than he is in 2023. Matt Jones is what he is. I mean, he's a uh, you know he he's a power gap type blocker, but I think part of Henderson's 
besides the durability is that the Ohio State offensive line is worse this year than it was last year. And those two seniors at the guard positions have not elevated their game at all and hence will hurt their have hurt their draft stock. You know, we talked about Marvin Harrison and Cade Stover a bunch. I don't think they did anything um, to certainly hurt their draft stock. And everything. I think they it, it stayed consistent. Both guys played a nice game. You know, Julian Fleming, though, seems to almost have to have overtaken Emeka Igbuka a little bit in terms of the second wide receiver on Ohio State. Tony, I know Igbuka has been coming back from that injury. He did have a touchdown in the game. Uh, how do you see him right now? And and and, and, and I, I know Fleming isn't someone we've really talked about much. But in terms of Igbuka's draft stock, has it taken a bit of a hit given some of the injuries he's dealt with this year and, and he just simply hasn't been as productive the last couple of games since he's been back? Well, he was really good until he suffered that high ankle sprain. And he probably shouldn't be on the field, but Ohio State's got to win, so they stick him on the field. And you've seen a drop in production from Abuka as you would with anybody with a high ankle sprain. We'll talk about two other guys who've had high ankle sprains whose draft stock has dropped. So, uh, you know, I think Abuka had a chance or was at least in the conversation to be in that one or two, one, two or three uh, receiver after Marvin Harrison. He's probably out of that now. As far as Fleming's concerned, you know, he's sort of left out. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the downfield ability of Abuka or Harrison, but he's just a consistent football player. They throw him the ball. He's oh, He always catches it. He always has always come through for him. They just have other pass catches. Right now, I've got a fifth round grade on Fleming. He goes about six, one and a half. He's going to be about 209 pounds. He's probably going to run low four fives. And I, I think he's got the makings of a real good number four receiver at the next level. All right, let, let's jump to another game, Tony, unless there's someone else from Ohio State, Michigan, you want to bring up? Uh, you know, I, I think two guys, I thought that uh, Michael Hall, uh, who has all of the defensive tackle from uh, Ohio State, who's been suffering from an ankle sprain as well this year, who's basically been dormant. I mean, he, he's basically disappeared. We haven't heard from him much this year. I thought he had a real good game. Whether he's back to full health or, or not, I don't know. Whether he realized that this is probably his last game for Ohio State, maybe he's going to enter the draft, although he's coming off a bad year. I thought what we saw from Michael Hall against Michigan is what I, anyway, expected to see from him all season long. We'll see where he goes from now. Is he going to go back to Ohio State? Is he going to uh, enter the draft? Absolutely. All right. Let, let's jump over to LSU, Texas A&M. And obviously, Tony, Jaden Daniels continues to put it together. Um, look, I haven't done my deep dive on the quarterbacks yet. I'm going to try to do it a little bit during the bye this week and, and, and get ahead a little bit. You know, we talked about J.J. McCarthy. I think Jaden Daniels, when all is said and done, is going to have a hell of a case to be the third quarterback taken in this draft. Could be. I mean, like I, we said last week with Jaden Daniels, when it, we talked about offensive risers, I think Jaden Daniels, if he goes to the senior ball, he answers a lot of questions at the senior ball. He could definitely affirm himself or plant himself as that number three QB because, you know, as we know, the quarter, the quarter, the senior ball is a kingmaker at the quarterback position. I think the thing against Texas A&M on Saturday, it just showed his resiliency. It just showed, you know, what a gutty player is. He didn't have a good first half. And I'm watching the first half, and I'm like, man, this guy's throwing away the Heisman Trophy. Then he comes back in the second half, uh, late in the second quarter even, and starts beating Texas A&M with his legs. Had a 49-yard run, ended up with 120 yards rushing, only 235 yards passing for the game. But, oh, yeah, four touchdowns uh, as, uh, you know, uh, Texas uh, uh, LSU took control of that game when they were losing. you got to love that resiliency. you got to love that fight. And the fact that he was able to bring the offense back and beat Texas A&M, I thought he did a terrific job. And again, 
just finds ways to win. You know, was not throwing the ball well in the first half of the game, had a big run, got LSU in position to score, ends up with four scoring passes, even though he didn't have high yardage. Lot to like about Jaden Daniels. Listen, if you go back and watch some of our shows last year, we talked about how, you know, there was an inconsistency and we really wanted to see him play at a high level. He's played at that high level almost the, every game this season. Yeah, he really has. And another group of guys that have, and I know there's a linebacker in that game, Tony. We'll get to him when we get to our risers and sliders. Let's go to Washington, Washington State. And Washington State hung in this game. But again, it was the Washington um, big receiver, yeah. Adunzie, seven catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. I know at the start of the year, you weren't quite as high on him as, as maybe some others. Are you warming up to him a little bit here as he continues to be extremely productive throughout the year? Have to. I mean, I'd be foolish if I wasn't. You know, sometimes, you you know, when you scout guys, your feelings or, or sentiments towards your way you felt about a guy getting the way moving forward, you got to get away. You got to get away from that. And that's what I got to do with the Dunze, because you know, I've said he's a bigger receiver. He, he, he struggles to separate. But all he does is make plays. And, you know, you mentioned the seven receptions for 120 yards. You didn't uh, mention a reverse for 23 yards yeah. late in the game, which helped move Washington into position where they would ultimately kick the field goal to win the game and stay in the hunt for the college football playoffs. Uh, you know, I want to see how he does his route running. I, I want, you know, when they do a, a combine drill specifically, I don't know if he goes to the senior bowl, but obviously you got to look at it. You know, if you're looking at it with through uh, clear glasses, you got to say it's Marvin Harrison and there's another group of guys and a Dunsey with Malik Neighbors of LSU is absolutely in that conversation to be that second receiver selected off the board. And Pettix, Tony, I think this is kind of the inconsistency a little bit yeah. with, with the accuracy and the ball placement in this game, right? Just 18 to 33 for 204 yards. Yeah, it really was a non-factor. And, and that's it. I mean, it's a streakiness, as I've said with Pennix, that is a major concern for me. And I think it's going to be a major concern for scouts. Absolutely. Finally, Alabama-Auburn, everyone saw the final play of that game with the uh, touchdown pass to Bond. Somehow you rush three, you're singling up Alabama's best wide receiver. I'm not sure what kind of um, plan that is. But they win the game, and you were impressed by uh, Chris Braswell, who's going to be featured in one of our risers in this group. One of your guys. I mean, again, I, know, I do like Braswell about, uh, in the beginning of the season. And, you know, Bruce Feldman and I were talking about how, yeah, he's a great athlete, but he's more athlete than football player. Well, guess what? He's starting to turn that athleticism into football production. He's really progressed well. You see the athleticism on the field. You see the ease of movement, whether it's up the field or whether it's laterally pursuing plays from the backside. Had one sack against Auburn. Had, uh, what was it? I'm sorry, one tackle for loss, one sack. Finishes the regular season with eight sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. Big guy, fluid athlete. He's got to learn to make plays in reverse. He's not the complete the player, but you can absolutely say that right now, Chris Graswell is a much better player than he was at the beginning of the season, and he's really helped his draft stock. And one other rivalry game I'll throw out there, Tony, real quick, is Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon wins that game 31-7 to again. Troy Franklin, another big game. The guy just keeps making plays. Nine of nine catches, 128 yards, a touchdown, a 41-yard catch. And that guy's just a big play waiting to happen. They got three or four receivers on there. And, and yeah. you know, the way we say that uh, J.J. McCarthy is going to be an interesting scouting story, interesting guy to watch, so is Bo Nix. <laughs> I mean, where does Bo – Bo Nix is going to be in there with Jaden Daniels for the Heisman Trophy contention. You know, he's going to get a lot of Heisman Trophy votes. The guy's just – the guy just produces – he stays away from mistakes. 
He leads his team. You know, he uses all his receivers out there. So, yeah, Franklin's been really good, but, but Bo Nix has been even more outstanding. And that's going to be interesting how scouts him. Again, like Jaden Daniels, who I think if he goes to the senior bowl and has three good days of practice, is really going to elevate his draft stock, move into that first round. I don't know if Bo Nix is going to move in the first round, but if he goes to the senior bowl and has three good days of practice and shows that he can get the ball downfield with speed, with accuracy, he's absolutely going to help with his draft stock as well. I mean, 3,900 yards, Tony, 37 touchdowns, just two interceptions. Yeah, protect the football. He's done a great job with that. The numbers are off the chart. And that Oregon-Washington game on Friday night, there's a lot of draft-eligible players in that game, especially on offense. So fans should definitely go check that out. Of course, you have the... Big 12 title game at noon on Saturday, Oklahoma State, Texas. Four o'clock, Georgia, Alabama, the SEC title game. Then at night, you have Michigan and Iowa, the uh, Big Ten championship game, and uh, Louisville, Florida State as well. So um, a lot of good football this weekend, Tony. Anything you want to mention about those games before we go into our risers and fallers? Well, I just hope they, they, they're they as good as the games from this past weekend because, yeah. you know, we saw some great games this past weekend. And Alabama beat Georgia. I mean, Georgia seems like they're on a roll right now. I, I mean, you know, can Oregon, who's also on the roll, come back and, you know, basically uh, beat Washington when they lost to them, what, on, on a last-minute uh, missed field goal? Uh, last second, I, I should say, missed field goal earlier in the season. Should be a lot of fun. And like you said, a lot of good pro prospects in all of those games. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to your riders and sliders. Tony, these are names we've mentioned over the course of this show uh, throughout the year. And again, guys, go check it out. We did our uh, top players at each position over the last month and a half or so. So go check out all of those shows. And we did our risers on offense and sliders last week. Always like to get Tony's take on all these guys. Of course, you can find his work at Sports Kita. Uh, go check that out as well. Defensive line, Tony. And we're starting it with a guy that I know you still have as your only potential first-round pick at defensive tackle, your man, Jerzon Newton. And he's a guy who came into the season graded as a second-round pick by scouts. He's obviously improved his draft stock. You know, he's been omnipresent on a Illinois defense that I think has been disappointing at times this year. He's double-teamed. He's still finding ways to make plays. I think the thing with Newton is he's 6'1", he's 300 pounds. Teams are going to have to find a position for him. Is he a three-technique tackle? Is he a natural tackle in a, in a, in a four-man line? Is he a two-gap end? He's a good football player. He's a playmaker up front on a defensive line. And I think he's absolutely going to go first round, which is almost a round improvement from where teams had him coming into the season. Yeah, and, and then Tyleek Williams from Ohio State has kind of emerged as one of those really reliable run stuffers. A, but he's a real good player, all-around player. A little bit yeah. smaller, a, a similar sort of build to uh, Newton, but he's explosive. He splits his double-team blocks. He's constantly penetrating the line of scrimmage, and he's been... He's not been the big play guy on that Ohio State defensive line, but he's definitely been their most consistent defensive lineman this year, which no one was talking about that coming into the season. And, and as a result, he's absolutely improved his draft stock. And then we go to Louisville, Ashton Jalot, and I think I have that pronunciation right. If I don't, I apologize. You know, we talked about him a few shows ago when we talked about the defensive lineman, Tony, and that's a guy I'm really impressed by. I think maybe once he gets to the pros, he's 270. Maybe he'd be more of a three technique than a defensive end if he continues to get bigger. But he's a guy that certainly has some pass rush potential. Really good athlete. 11 sacks this year, 14 and a half tackles for loss to go with 43 uh, tackles. I mean, a guy who you watch him, he's a little bit smaller, but he plays with great pad level. He gets leverage on opponents. 
He fires off the snap. He penetrates the line of scrimmage. He splits double team blocks and he finds ways to make plays again, like Newton, even like Tyleek Williams. Is he, uh, is he a three technique, one gap defender, as you mentioned, can you stick him in as a conventional defensive tackle? Can you put him in a three man line? The guy can rush the passer. I'm told he is very likely leaning towards entering the draft. And if he does, he's going to be a day two pick. And not too many people were talking about Gillette entering the season. Yeah, absolutely. And a guy that I had not watched, Tony, until this morning when I was when I was continuing to go through your list here. Byron Murphy from Texas now. That guy's 290 pounds. He moves like he's about 25 pounds lighter than that. He's able to attack the shoulders of guards and, and the center. And what impresses me is that he's getting consistent penetration, Tony, and getting pressure on the quarterback, lining up not even to the three technique. He's at, at nose tackle. He's right. at one shade. And interior pass rush, as you well know, is very difficult to find, and it's so valuable. This guy has the size and athleticism to be a true interior pass rusher. And, boy... His for me, his talent and upside is off the charge based on the athleticism for a guy that's 290. And a guy who I'm told is going to enter the draft. You're looking at a day two pick. I don't think he's going to be a first rounder. Although, you know, we talked about quarterbacks who are overdrafted, defensive linemen, especially defensive tackles, go much earlier than people project. Very athletic, very explosive. Five sacks this year to go along with seven quarterback hurries. A guy that, you know, has got some scheme versatility to him. Only a true junior, so he's got a lot of upside in his game. Absolutely. All right, let's go to a couple sliders you have on the defensive line, Tony. One guy we mentioned that you liked how he played this week, and then uh, one of the guys he played against this week, and Chris Jenkins. Well, Jeb, they both suffered from injuries. Jenkins uh, was okay in the beginning of the year, then suffered a high ankle sprain, and has been basically in and out of the lineup because he hasn't been able to play on that ankle. Hall's also been injured, but the fact is this. I, I mean... There were a lot of people, not me, we talked about Bruce Feldman, thought that Chris Jenkins could be a first-round pick entering the season. Truth be told, I had Michael Hall as a potential first-round choice entering the season. None of those guys are going to go first-round right now. Hence, you know, they're they're leaving the regular season, regular season in college football with lower draft grades than when they entered, so they're sliders. You think day two for both those guys at this point? Uh, definitely day two for Jenkins. Got to see if Hall enters the draft. I really think Hall would be best going back to Ohio State for another season. We'll see what happens there. Do they offer him the uh, NIL package, which a lot of these other guys are getting a lot of money in NIL to entice him to go back? I think he might be much better back, much better off going back. Uh, and basically, if he's healthy, playing uh, every game in 2024 the way he played against Michigan, if possible. Your risers at linebacker, it starts with Chris Braswell. We already touched on him in the Auburn-Alabama game, Tony. And they have a bunch of guys that are kind of supposed to be day three picks, maybe names that people are not familiar with. So why don't you go through some of those guys? Uh, Adrian Cooper, uh, Tyron Hopper. I watched a couple of these guys. They're kind of like classic, you know, modern college football, undersized inside linebacker types. And who also make plays up the field. I mean, you, you yep. look at Edge Cooper this year. I, I mean, the guy's constantly uh, penetrating the line of scrimmage. They use him up as more of a 3-4 sort of outside linebacker. <laughs> and, and he's constantly disrupting the action. I'm looking here, 15 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, 76 tackles, also six Q, uh, QB uh, hurries. He's not a bad athlete either. He can drop off the line in playing space. So He can run. Edge Cooper... 
has good testing results prior to the draft, I could absolutely see him going day two in the draft because of the way he's played so much better you know, this season than people expected. Came into the season great as a six-rounder. I think right now you're looking at a fourth-rounder at worst, potential third-rounder. All right, how about uh, Teron Hopper from Missouri and Tyreen Powell from Rutgers? Yeah, both of these guys entered the season with fifth-round grades. You look at Hopper, he's a little bit of a smaller guy, but a good run defender. Excellent in pursuit. Goes sideline to sideline. Not bad in coverage. Gets depth on his pass drops. He's got to brush his pass coverage off, but you're looking at a more of a 3-4 inside linebacker. Fifth round grade coming in the season. I think fourth, maybe third round grade. Tyreen Powell is a terrific player who just falls under the radar. He's 6'4", he's 245 pounds. He's very athletic. He's expected to run in the four sixes. He's not just a guy that stands up over tackle uh, at uh, Rutgers and rushes up the field. He makes plays sideline to sideline. He's good in pursuit. I mean, he really is a truly underrated linebacker. I would expect to see him at the senior bowl. And he's one of those guys that if he does well in coverage drills and he shows he's able to move that frame around in one-on-one drills as he does on the film, I could absolutely see Powell fourth round, potential third round choice. And then there's a linebacker from Georgia that you like that we talked a little bit about when we did our linebacker top yeah, 10. Shmel, yeah, Shmel, uh, uh, Shmel Munden, who is the smallest of all the linebackers, but he's explosive. He is your prototypical 220, 225-pound linebacker that goes sideline to sideline, covers a tremendous amount of area on the field. It's going to be some mismatch problems when he goes up against those six foot four tight ends, but he's got good skills and coverage. I like his ability. I like his scheme versatility. And right now, Munden, you're looking at a day two selection, uh, abs- absolutely a day two selection. And as I wrote at Sports Skeeter, he is expected to enter the draft. And then, Tony, if you take a look at this Ohio State defense, we talked a lot about their linebackers coming into this year, whether you're talking about Sawyer or Eichenberg, guys like that. None of them have really popped, and I know you've been a little disappointed in what Liam Eichenberg's done. You know, I, I talked about uh, their offensive guards, Jackson and Jones, not are playing better in 2022 than they did in 2023. Same thing with Eichenberg. I mean, uh, Eichenberg came into the season graded as a third-round choice by NFL scouts. If you watch Ohio State football, would you take Tommy Eichenberg in the third round? I mean, he's a good up-the-field type of linebacker who disappeared for long spurts this year, really wasn't the playmaker people expect him to be. Seems to struggle in pass coverage. I think Eichenberg, the way I view him, he's a real good two-down linebacker against the run that when it's third and five, third and six, you're going to take him off the field in coverage. And I don't think you draft a guy like that in the third round. All right, let's go to the defensive backfield, Tony. A guy we talked a lot about when we did our corners was Terry and Arnold out of Alabama. And I know I'm probably on an island on this. I would not be shocked if when all is said and done, he gets picked before Kool-Aid McKinstry. We'll see. Uh, but he's certainly made a name for himself as really, uh, to me, what impresses me most about him is that he's a physical corner. He's a great tackler. And he frankly just hasn't given up a lot of plays this year. Right now, my third cornerback uh, on my board. But yeah, I mean, you know, a big time player from a program that has produced a lot of big time defensive backs over the past 10 to 15 years. And again, why is he a riser? We all talked about Kool-Aid McKinstry in August and September. Did Terry and Arnold ever leave anybody's mouth? Did anybody, was he nope. ever in the conversation? Nobody really knew about him. No one, and all of a sudden now we're talking about him as one of the first, first three cornerbacks selected in the upcoming draft. 
terrific skills, very athletic, very explosive. Doesn't seem to have the same physicality of uh, McKistry, but McKistry's uh, physical uh, aggressiveness is off the charts. Guy who's really good now, who's got a tremendous amount of upside. Then Nate Wiggins out of Clemson, I think pure move, movement skills from this corner class, Tony, he might be number one on the board. And he's a guy who, you know, you're looking at him in August as maybe a day two pick. He could slide into the late part of round one. You mentioned quarterbacks being overdrafted. A lot of defensive tackles go earlier than expected. Same thing with cornerbacks. I mean, we saw uh, years where consistently we were having five and six cornerbacks uh, selected in the round in the first round, and the la- last three cornerbacks were all surprises. Wiggins has played well. He's got good hip movement. He's smooth in his transition. He can stay downfield with opponents. He gets his head back around to track the yeah. pass in the air. Does a real good job making plays with his back to the ball, which is of uber importance to me because you see too many college cornerbacks face guard. You can't do that in the NFL. And again, played much better. He played good in 2023, but I think he's played better in 2000, uh, played good in 2022. I think he's played much better in 2023. Then you have Miami safeties, James Williams and Cameron kitchens. You still like that pair. Absolutely. Both of those guys are third round choices. Williams, uh, Williams is a good, uh, is a bigger uh, safety. You know, some people may project him as a one gap linebacker. We've seen that a, a lot lately where they take those big safeties and they move them to linebacker. Kitchens is an excellent sideline to sideline safety who's got terrific ball skills. I was impressed by Kalen Bullock from USC when I watched him, Tony. We've been talking about this USC program for, for four months on this show, and we finally found a, a player from USC other than Caleb Williams that we're talking about as someone that might get drafted. The problem, though, you know, I think his ball skills are great. He anticipates. He jumps routes. He gets his hands on the ball. But he's only 190 pounds at safety, yeah. so I wonder kind of where that fit's going to be. I don't think it's a problem. I mean, we've seen more Buda Baker. We've seen more and more of these safeties. True where in the past you wanted them to be 6'2", 205, 210 pounds. Now it's not a problem taking an undersized safety because basically your undersized safety with ball skills can be your nickelback or your dimeback. So I, yeah. I don't think it's it's a problem for uh, Bullock, who's played well on an awful defense. I mean, that defense is awful. And, and really a guy who, again, you know, you like them in 2022, but he's really elevated his game this year. Yeah, there are a couple of plays against uh... – Washington and Oregon, if I recall, where he kind of got turned around a little bit and lost and, you know, they didn't get any pass pressure. So guys are kind of spreading it out down the field. But otherwise, I agree. I think his ball skills have been uh, really strong this year. Then a couple of Kalen's highlights your sliders at DB. Yeah, I mean, Kalen King of Penn State. I was never on the Kalen King bandwagon. A lot of people thought he was going to be a first round pick. Yeah, a lot of people I was going to be a mid first round pick coming in the season. I mean, you look at King. I, I talked about how Nate Wiggins does a great job making plays with his back to the ball. Kalen King consistently face guards. He's always has, which is a major, major problem. He's physical. He beats down the receiver to defend passes, but he's given up a lot of passes this year. He had a terrible game against Marvin Harrison Jr., where he's consistently getting beat, getting beat for touchdowns. I think Kalen King has basically affirmed himself as a day two pick, may even be a third round choice. Then Kalen Carson of Wake Forest, he came into the season graded as a second rounder by scouts, but he struggled. It's really been their safety. Mustafa, who could have been on uh, my risers list, although I, I liked him a lot coming into the season, uh, that has really been the best player in that secondary. Carson's got terrific size. He's six foot two, 205 pounds. He's very athletic. He's just got a very unpolished game. And I think he's disappointed uh, scouts for a guy who they came in expecting a second round prospect. They've not seen that. And then finally, I love seeing new names on these lists, Tony. DeCorian Patterson at Central Florida you have here. 
Yeah, Memphis transfer came into the season grid as a fourth round choice from uh, by scouts. I'm sorry, and he's barely played this year. He's rarely seen the field. Uh, you know, he's gone from basically a fourth round choice to a guy that's probably not going to be drafted. The only way he's drafted, if he enters the draft and doesn't go back for another year, the only way the reason he's going to be drafted is he goes to a pro day workout and he blows out the workout and they love his size, speed, and they take a flyer on him late in late in the uh, draft. But again, a guy who is probably watched his draft stock drop three to four rounds. All right, Tone, I'm going to enjoy my bye week. Uh, I'm going to enjoy college football this weekend. Uh, you do the same, and then we'll reconvene next week. We will do our kind of reset Tony's top 10, some honorable mentions in your top 10. Uh, we'll go through some of the conference championship games, and we'll kind of look ahead as the – uh, guys will probably start declaring for the draft at that point too, right, Tony? Kind of, we're we're really getting into the 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 postseason draft process at that point. We are, and, and I think what's really you know interesting are the guys who have entered the transfer portal. The Miami quarterback just entered the transfer portal, or guys who are saying uh, the Cincinnati defensive tackle uh, Corleone just says he's going back for another year. So I, you're right. You're going to probably start to see guys who are saying. I'm not going to play in the ball game. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to start to prepare for the NFL draft. But what's been as interesting to me, Tyler Van Dyke, you know, saying, hey, rather than enter the draft, I'm going to transfer from Miami and go to a different program. I was watching these guys decide that they're going to stay for another year or transfer to another program. This is the power of the NIL in action for guys to, in my opinion, a lot of them like Tyler Van Dyke are making the right choice going back to college. Uh, but now they've got some financial incentive to play another year on Saturdays. Yeah, much less pressure to to go to the pros and understandably start getting paid for for what you do. And now the NIL NIL will help guys and give them more motivation to stay in school to to continue to develop as a player for one, or or simply continue their education, which is always a good thing too. Tony, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Look forward to it. Tony Pauline from Sports Kita. I am John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us on Draft Season. We'll see you next time, everybody.